0: This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I talk to disability advocate and motivational speaker, Jesse Leva, let's get started. So, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Uh, so, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, uh, my name's Jesse, and I am now dedicated to providing services to individuals with disabilities to help them become independent. I started because I needed services myself. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what was going to happen with my life. I was in my late 20s and um <clears throat> all of my services. I was told, you know, when you're born with a disability, you're always told the things you will never accomplish. You'll never, you know, go to college. You'll never go to school. You won't live a long life. You won't be able to drive and all these different things. And <clears throat> little by little over time I was able to overcome those those obstacles or those things that I was told or my parents were told about it, that I would never accomplish. Uh so that um you know, growing up I was I was always treated normal, I was um included, I was, you know, the whole thing on it and and then um I did have struggles in the education system because of my disability. But I uh because of all of those struggles and being on that side of knowing what it is to Lose your benefits and being told no is what has motivated me to now be a service provider, entrepreneur, providing services to individuals with disabilities and being an advocate for them. And so I do that by basically providing services of living skills, information, and resources um, more than anything because it's filling that gap of what is out there, what is available, and how do I obtain it and maintain it or even get it back once I have it that you know, so many families have difficulty with, particu- especially families that are maybe from different cultures, and maybe don't understand the language or whatnot. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. So I'm that person that, that, like I said, connects them and makes sure that they, they begin the process and end and the process of whatever it is that they're looking for. Um, literally in anything, I can't say it's in something specific literally in any type of service, whether it's advocating for them at school in the school system, teaching them, you know, what's the difference between the IEP five oh four or, you know, an education plan, what are accommodations, you know, what services are out there, assisting with Medicaid, applications, food stamps, social security, what are literally, you know, under the entire umbrella of services. So that's what I do. And then in addition to that, I have always loved The world of entertainment. And I was my own barrier. My my mindset was my own barrier, thinking that because I have a disability, I can't be in the entertainment world. I can't be a host or, you know, in communications. My dream was to be a broadcast, a broadcaster. And I didn't do it because I thought that I couldn't, literally. So, or I didn't pursue it. So, fast forward, I, I, uh, I obtained opportunities where I wanted, to, or I, re- I wanted to get in the world of modeling and voiceovers and, like, all these different things. But, again, I thought I couldn't do it. And, and the doors were being closed in my face because I was different. People were telling me, no, you don't qualify. Or you're a liability. You know, you're a liability to our company if it was a modeling agency. Which is not necessarily true. But if you don't know the laws and the regulations, then you, you don't know. Uh, so, little by little, I got out there more, I met people, and I started a production it's called Fun Inclusion, which is um, my baby, and it's promoting inclusion of individuals with disabilities while having fun. And uh, when I say entertainment, it's literally from performers, musical performers, or uh, singers rather, you know, groups, dance groups. Uh, we have a fashion show of, of models working out with disabilities. The cool thing is that we got the opportunity to make it all literally all-inclusive and sensory-friendly for, you know, maybe it's individuals with autism or literally anybody so that everybody can enjoy the show. So here in South Florida, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely growing. We're on our fifth year. We actually just had a production um, uh, in September where we had over 300 uh, people and, you know, coming to, to see the show. We had, you know, a multitude of performances and special guests and the entertainment for the family and the outside activities for the kids. Uh, so it's been very well embraced by the community. And so we were even in the music for this time, which was really cool. So more than anything is, is raising that awareness of, hey, you know, we we might have a disability, but we're here. We're here. We're not going anywhere, and and it's you know it's it's definitely a demographic that will continue to grow um, every single day. And so, because of that, I think it's very important to 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 not put it in the back burner, if you will, and and actually get people with disabilities a voice and say, and for them to understand and know that one, there are services, there are opportunities for you out there. This is how you do it. Let me help you. And get people to, and, and again, particularly those with disabilities, to get out more. You know, um, little by little, even the war in twenty eighteen, you still don't see a lot of inclusion of those with disabilities in a lot of things. Uh, and and that's not for any particular reason. It just kind of like it is what it is. And we tend to stay within our comfort zone. We tend to just like stay back because we're. It could be anything, maybe you're scared, maybe you're not sure, maybe it could be, like I said, it could be anything. And so my personal goal is to get people to be like, to be that, to represent people in a way where it's like, okay, if you can do it, I can do it. And if I go to something, just for example, if I go to something political, or maybe it's a discussion in the community or something, I will be the only person there with a disability. If I go to a red carpet event or a concert or you know whatever it is, a lot of times or a networking event even, professional, I see that I'm the only one with a disability there. And I'm like, why? I, I mean, this is what I do for a living. And I know there's like a multitude of people with disabilities of all ages. Where are these people? And, and so I go back to that, thinking about it, like what can I do to empower them to get out? Like, if you don't get out of your house, guys, if you don't get out and let people know what you need, what you want, what you have to offer, then the, you're not, you know, we're not going to be able to accomplish anything. But we're really quick to just stay home and complain. You complain, but when, you know, when something is provided or, or, yet, or there's an opportunity or something, nobody shows up. And so that's, or very few people show up, rather. And so that's my thing. It's like, Get out, get out there, go get it. It's not going to come to you. You have to go get it. And that's what I had to do. That's what I was taught to do is, you know, fight for what I want, advocate for for myself. Now I get to advocate for others. And it's not that simple. I, I'm, I'm, I'm making it seem very simple. And it's not, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. And I haven't always been like that myself. I was very timid. I was very insecure. I was, you know, I didn't know what my talents and abilities were. I would have never thought that I would be, you know, doing what I'm doing now with production and helping other people. Like people have helped me, and you know, being a mentor, and and it literally became my passion once I discovered it. And um, it's definitely life changing.
0: When did you first realize you were different?
1: Oh, what a question! I first realized I was different, I believe, when, um, and then I go back to this because it was really a life-changing moment. I was, let's say, 19 years old, right out of high school, and literally had a moment of, oh my God, what's going to happen with that life? Like, and and, you know, I know the services here are a little different, but any state-funded service that I had was terminated. They had taken it away from me. Social Security was taken away from me. I was given an overpayment. I was told I would never drive because I didn't have the ability to. Uh, Vocational Rehabilitation, which is the state-funded program for education and other related services, terminated my case because I didn't qualify. I was, uh, you know, I didn't qualify because according to them, I was not disabled enough, quote-unquote. And so I was lost. I was like, what's going to happen right now? (laughs) And my mom my like family was moving to South Carolina and I was like okay, if I'm in Florida and this is happening just imagine moving to another state that has less services then I'm really going to be lost. That was my mindset so I decided to stay back and so when I stayed back it was a pivot moment where I was like, all right, now i got to make it happen what am I going to do? I uh, My mom, who at that point already lived in South Carolina said to me, why don't you check out uh, an organization over there called Center for Independent Living. And I did. And showing enough, they were an organization that helped people with disabilities in different areas. And so with them, I was able to get my life back, literally. Um, they helped me re obtain my benefits of Social Security and then, or F- SSI and then Social Security, reopening my case with vocational rehabilitation. I was a volunteer with them, and, and I literally did what I had to do to make it happen at that point. I was, you know, taking buses and taxis and and working at the Boys and Girls Club and going to volunteer there. Three months later, they offered me a job as their receptionist. That was literally when, when and where I found my passion leading to what I'm doing now as far as helping people with disabilities become independent. So that was my life-changing moment where I my life literally began at that point, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, I I knew what my passion was. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And and I was happy. And and it was a reverse psychology thing because I was helping people become independent, yet I needed that same help to become independent. So if I was doing a cooking class, I was learning how to cook a meal before teaching the meal. (laughs) And so that was a a very... um, Hands-on experience for me to become independent myself, while teaching other people, and that that experience in those, you know, in, in that beginning, and then in the four or five years that I worked there, were life-changing for my personal life, and and so I always mention that because I, that it's true, and I and it, I mean it was definitely life-changing, and and know that's what I hope to instill in other people.
0: What was it like for you growing up?
1: I uh, I was born uh, with the spina bifida, which is when you're born with a hole in your spine.
0: And so you have a
1: very thin layer of skin in your spine, and that affects all of your nerves uh, in your lower extremities. So you're born paralyzed, you're born with nerve damage, your your bladder's not functioning, uh, your kidneys are not functioning, and it's just a whole array of um, different health issues. And so, I was diagnosed with the, with the most severe form of spina bifida, excuse me, which is my lumbar and the cell. And so, um, my, my life began with being, you know, born in one hospital, airlifted to the nearest Miami Children's Hospital, and put into surgery right away to close the wound in my spine. And... From that point on, it just was, you know, surgeries, um, physical therapies and occupational therapies and all that good stuff. I have multiple hip surgeries, hip replacement, uh, closure of the spine, uh, kidney stones. I have a shunt, which is a tube from my head to my abdomen area. And so with all those different issues, I I was always in the hospital. Like literally, I was always sick in the hospital with these therapies and stuff. But little by little, as I got older, I, I was getting better. And oftentimes, it's actually the opposite, where the older you get, the worse you get, the worse condition. Uh, but I was getting better. I went from not being able to walk at all in a wheelchair to using walker, uh, crutches, a cane, and now I just use it. I walk and I use the cane, like just just in gay situations for balance. But during the time that I was in a wheelchair, I was in a wheelchair all the way up to high school. And then, well, one, because I was weak and unfortunately I didn't qualify for physical therapy. So my physical therapy was swimming classes like every summer, all day, every day, <laughs> or biking, bike riding, which I love, or uh, ballet. If you can imagine that, I did ballet, tab jazz, and stuff like that. And that was my physical therapy, which was the best therapy, really. And so, I gained a lot of my strength and mobility, and then going into high school, I totally left the wheelchair. I I'd never used it again unless I was like at Disney or I really needed need to use it. Uh and Their education system was interesting because they labeled me learning disabled because I was physically disabled, and so w- hence why you know I'm passionate about what I do now because of the labeling. And I had to say no better. And my parents, you know, were told, oh, we're going to help your daughter. Everything's going to be fine. Meanwhile, I'm in uh, special education classes, not learning anything. And it wasn't until middle, elementary school, um, going into middle school, actually, that I was like, no, you know what? This is too easy. I want to go to regular classes. And so I remember that in seventh grade, I was put in regular classes from, from special ed to regular classes. I felt miserably because I couldn't do math or critical thinking or none of that stuff. (laughs) So I had to miss my vacation, go to summer school, repeat seventh grade, and then I have been in uh, regular honors with AP, you know, ever since. And I think that we do, as a society, we need to become more educated on these differences and, and not do a disservice to our students as much as we're doing even now. Um which is very interesting, but that's that's a whole nother topic. But but um so it was it was great. And then, you know, I learned I like I said my mom always taught me to be my own best self advocate. And like I remember clearly taking over my educational meetings and all that good stuff and being very, very active in the community. And then now, you know, with that strength and with that um education even at home as far as you know if you can't run walk if you can't uh, pick something up drag it just get it done and that's the attitude and the mindset that has helped me get as far as I have you know and I can't say that I was ever isolated or anything like that I was always treated you know normal if you will and included and uh I didn't I, don't, I, I was not, not that I didn't, I literally was not allowed to say I can't or let my disability stop me. <laughs> and that was with the strength and the, you know, the, the way I was brought up at home, it was just not going to happen. So that I think for sure is what has brought me as far as I have.
0: Yeah, uh, I had a similar experience in school where I was put in in special education, like I did, you know, kind of like part-time special ed and part-time like normal classes with everybody, you know, with the rest of the student body, and around high school, I basically just said, leave me alone, <laughs> and uh I did poorly in school up until high school. Like, I didn't do very well, mainly because I didn't care. Classes were really easy because I was in, you know, because I was in the special education program. I didn't have to try. Like, it didn't, you know, like, I didn't really feel like it mattered. And then in high school, when I told right. them to leave me alone, I started doing better in school, surprisingly, because now it was on me. It was just really a, it was a right. different experience.
1: And that makes it- And that makes a big difference when it's something that's being forced upon you versus when it's up to you. Yeah. Then you want
0: to do it. Yeah, I didn't need the extra help. It was thrust upon me. And, you know, like I said, you know, like if you're, if somebody is providing you all the notes in class, if you're being, you know, you know, just helped so much that, like, I just didn't really bother (laughs) until high school. Like I said, I told them to leave me alone, and I went and did my own thing. So,
1: yes, it's kind of like they mandatory, like they make you become lazy. If yeah, that makes sense,
0: basically. <laughs> what was your relationship like with your parents?
1: My relationship with my parents has always been strong. I was raised; uh, my parents were divorced, uh, or divorced, rather, when I was a baby. So, you know, I never really had them together, per se but they were like the best of friends, which is weird. Like they're divorced, but you're like the best of friends. I don't understand. <laughs> So we had a very open, you know, very cool relationship where we, um, we had everything. We had my mom, dad, step parents, uh, you know, we had two homes. We, we were in our minds, we were good. And so that never really affected us in a negative way. Um, you know, as far as having the parents that were divorced or whatnot. So, you know, growing up, we had to live of both worlds. And honestly, my medical condition and the medical issues never, um, never got to me emotionally to where I was like depressed or anything like that. In fact, If I am having surgery or something, I would tell the doctors, you know, go take care of my mom, because my mom would be like a hot mess, nervous, crying, and I would just go take care of her. I'll be fine. (laughs) And that was my attitude. I was really fine with it. And so I, uh, I was never pitied. I was never like, oh, poor thing. No, I was always so strong. And, you know, I was the one. Playing outside with the water hose with the other kids, or we we grew up in a different era. Also, we you know we grew up in the 1980s where you would still be able to go outside and play. It was a normal thing. Uh, so I lived a very out, you know, like inclusive family-oriented lifestyle where you know maybe that even is what has helped me come as far as I have as well so life was fine
0: (laughs) if you could have any job if education cost or physical ability were not a factor just pure enjoyment what would you most like to do
1: Uh, this one sounds insane my ideal job is literally being an entrepreneur Having my uh, my own company or organization where I can provide all of these services that I'm talking about, including employability skills and job uh, employability skills and job opportunities through production I would love to just have that one stop location with all these different things going on and then you know even like a some kind of living situation whether it's apartments or some just a whole community of like inclusion <laughs> and services and all these things that are so much needed like that's my dream right there and if I could combine that which I do honestly combine that with like I said production and media attention so that media pays attention and knows what's going on and what we really need that would be Amazing. To
0: be honest, it sounds like, like you've got two separate ideas there. You've got one, which would be the production media arm. So I guess your idea would be to, like, you know, send people out there, send people to casting calls and things. Like, is that what you're talking about?
1: I mean, if that's part of it, that could definitely be part of it. But whatever it is, to one, promote the inclusion, the visibility, at, at the making sure that media sees what we're doing, the ways we live, our needs. The services that are provided or not uh, providing employability, employment opportunities through production, Whether it's you know through my inclusion event performers, um, the marketing and behind the scenes, and also being like a talent agency for people with disabilities to be able and non-disabled, you know, both in all-inclusive to be able to to get them in front of these opportunities of, uh, you know, whether it's extras in movies or any kind of production need basically. Uh, Oh, another, you know, slight passion of mine is when it comes to uh, acting, if you notice, when you see someone portraying somebody with a disability in a movie or in a show or something, a lot of times that person does not have an actual disability. They're an able-bodied person just portraying somebody with a disability. In my mind, it's like, why are we still doing that when there's so many people with that particular disability, if you will, that want to do what they're doing, that want to act, that want to be the extra in and the movie? So, you know, what are we doing to to overcome that or to make sure that we, as people with disabilities, are seen for our talents and the abilities instead of, oh, well, you know, they're in a wheelchair or they have to find a or whatever my label might be, so let's push them aside. And I think that that comes with education. So, you know, if I could combine all of those things and educate the community on disability etiquette, what, you know, why labeling is not okay, not okay, and uh, or just promoting the whole idea of inclusion and diversity. I mean, that's literally what I would do with my life.
0: I don't know if you've seen the show uh, Speechless on ABC, but Micah Fowler plays a character... Uh, who has a disability, and he himself has a disability. This is a really yes. interesting yes. case where they've actually done a really good job. And I always want to spotlight yeah, you know, when somebody me. does do a good job.
1: Yes, amazing, amazing. And, and that's a really good example because things actually re-aired it, if you will. You know, um, the, the seasons have continue, continued versus in other times you'll see that they'll just continue the season and then no more. So that's a very good yeah. high rating show. Yeah, they
0: aired their uh, their third season at the beginning of this month. That's awesome. Who inspires you, or who do you look up to?
1: I believe in mentors one hundred and ten percent. I I believe that you have to aspire for something, and and one thing that I. I learned or, or I, I was exposed to, and now I believe 100% is a quote that says that you have to believe in somebody's belief in you until your belief kicks in. And I say that because I didn't always believe I could do what I'm doing now for many, many reasons. And when it wasn't until I joined a seminar, a motivational seminar with a motivational speaker by the name of Les Brown, and if you've heard of him before. He's known as one of the top motivational speakers highest paid in probably the country and he was labeled ethical mentally retarded. And so his story is that he, you know, having that label and everything that he had to overcome and the fact that he was his own block in being in his success as a as as a motivational speaker and which is a very similar stories if you will and 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 processes that we have gone through uh and and he inspired I I listen to his videos like as much as I can and whenever I'm thinking of anything or feeling some type of way he he gets me out of that space uh and I've had the, the privilege and honor to actually even be on stage with him speak with him and train with him so it's been really awesome so uh you know, my number one person, I would say, of course, you know, we, we definitely appreciate our family and our close ones staying there. For me, it was my mom. And then after that, for sure, uh, the motivational speaker, Les Brown. And I just have other empowering women that, that support me and have pushed me to, to get to where I am today, especially mindset-wise. So if there's anything that, that has helped me and that I would definitely recommend to everybody is to have mentors.
0: I'm gonna have a little bit of a moment here. So I was looking at Les Brown's Wikipedia page. He was married to Gladys Knight. That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <it'd be laughs> like right. I really love Gladys Knight, you know, like I think she's tremendous. I was just having a moment of like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. You know, just, they were only married for three years, but wow. Like yeah. <laughs> like I was just, yeah, I was just having a moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty uh, awesome. So yeah, you have a chance to look him up and listen to him, I mean, it's really empowering. So, yeah. Definitely. He was
0: also on the Ohio House of Representatives from 1977
1: mm-hmm. to 83. Yeah. So. so imagine someone being labeled educably retarded, which I think if we say that nowadays, I don't know what would happen, <laughs> but um, you know, and being in legislature and, and, and all his other accomplishments with having his TV show and radio show and you know, his stories are awesome. So he could do it, anybody
0: can do it. <laughs> also, he has 10 children. He must be a busy guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's very busy. He, he, he has 10 children,
0: 15 guy. grandchildren, is what it says here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah,
1: yeah very
0: busy guy. So but, I bet he ended up paying a lot of money in child support. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I talk about that. But uh, thank God he's the number one
1: motivational Seeker yeah, paid. you know, like he probably has
0: to be to pay, you know, considering according to this Wikipedia page, he's only been married once, so I'm like, right. God, like, I just, I can <laughs> right? Uh, yeah,
1: and he has, uh, he's had uh, cancer for many, many years, also, so he's uh, continuously battling the cancer and the chemo and all that good stuff, so he's, um, he's a tough one, tough
0: cookie. That's a, that's a really uh, long and interesting life he's had, For, um, being born in 1945, going through the Civil Rights Movement, being in the... Yes. Anyway, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yes.
0: What do you consider your biggest accomplishment?
1: My biggest accomplishment? Well, I think that when you are someone that uh, has to... Work maybe twice as hard to accomplish something. There's never that one huge, accomplishment in your life. I think that there's many small accomplishments or you know, medium, <laughs> medium-sized accomplishments. I think that for me, my most recent accomplishment uh, has been to be an entrepreneur and have that opportunity to be one and be a motivational speaker. And I say that because I never in my life would have thought that I could be a motivational speaker. I didn't think I had a story or deserved it, much less to be on stage with Les Brown, Um, one of those number one motivational speakers. And I think that for me was everything, (laughs) Uh, literally. And so, you know, whenever I'm thinking of something, I go back to that and I'm like, no, you know, you, you did it. You could do it. You know, you made it. And and also with my Funclusion event, that's another accomplishment because people, you'll you often hear that, you know, if you last maybe a year or two or your consistency, then you're lucky and, you know, all these different things. But, you know, we're five years into doing the production of Funclusion and we're strong and we grow every year. And that to me is... Is everything. Uh, that's my baby. So I'm very, very proud of of being uh, five years into the production and, and the difference that we're making in the lives of my people.
0: What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome?
1: The biggest challenge that I have had to overcome is my mindset. And... Too often we're worried about. We think we know what people are thinking. We think we know, you know, what people think of us, and, and all these things. And we have to stop. I, you know, I had to train, literally train my mind to, to, to yes, <laughs> you can, yes, you're able, yes, you're going to accomplish these things. And 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 how was I going to accomplish these things? These things that I wanted so so much. So I think that overcoming your mindset is, or for me personally, overcoming my mindset was number one. Uh, I remember that when I wanted to, when I decided to pursue my career as a motivational speaker, like I said, I literally thought I couldn't do it, and I was searching because I wanted it, and I'd go to you know music schools and voice and coaches and and search around. When I finally find one I was comfortable with. We talked and gave me all the information, and I was excited. I still disappeared for, like, a couple months and because I still wasn't sure of myself and if I, I could do it. And then I decided to go back a few months later uh, and, and, you know, reconnect with this person. And that's when he showed me a video of Les Brown, and I was hooked. I was like, find me up. I'm there. <laughs> you know? So I, I had to fight my own mindset. And the opinion of, that I had of myself and my abilities in order to be successful.
0: Uh, what's your hope for the future?
1: My hope for the future is that we begin to see people for who they are, for what they can do, for, and for what they have to offer. That we stop being, or living in a world where we're so judgmental, where we are so. Even in 2018, so segregated and so isolated because of our differences and because of our, you know, uh, our disabilities, our cultural background, you know, whatever it is, like stop. We're human. We need to come together. I want to see people working together. You know, we're if we're entrepreneurs, we should we shouldn't be. Struggling, we should be working together and partnering with other organizations. We are—we're all working. We're, we're at the end of the day, we might be doing something different, but we're—we we're all, all have that one common goal at the end. And if we were able to see that common goal at the end and see how advantageous it would be to work together, and that we're not competing, and that we're not competing for the same dollars, then maybe, just maybe, this world would be a better place. So it's less separation and more acceptance and more unity amongst everybody.
0: How do you think people see you and how do you wish people would see you?
1: Um, I don't know. Okay, so I think people see me now as someone that is a fighter and someone that is, going after what she wants and someone that is not going to give up and somebody that knows that, that she's capable of doing a lot of things. I truly and honestly think that, you know, the majority of people see that in me. I also know that there are people that see my disability and see me as, oh, you know, uh, in, in Spanish, we say, we we'll receive that like, oh, poor thing, you know, and they have, um, empathy or sympathy for, for, for me as a person because I think I, you know, I listen or I need help. But I, I strongly believe that I have built myself in a way where people see me for me, for what I project, for the energy that I project, for my talents and abilities and not just my limitations, my physical limitations that they see and on the outside. I truly think that now people see me for my, like I said, my strength, what I know, what I do, you know, what what I'm fighting for. And if people can see me for what I'm fighting for, for my mission, which is to help people with disabilities and make sure that they're included, then I'm doing something right.
0: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates?
1: I would like for him to say that all my efforts were worth it and that I accomplished something and that I made a difference in the world.
0: That is the last question I have for you. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. Um, well, that's all. Is there anything you want to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, pitch, you know, plug. There we go. Is there anything you want to plug?
1: Um, yeah, sure. I can be... You guys can... Check out more information by visiting dptsolutions.org, DPT stands for disability programs training solutions.org. You can also go to Funclusion. Funclusion, that's F-U-N-C-L-U, S-I-O-N.org. You can check out all the services and all the production that we're doing for and uh, we have been doing for 2018, 2019. And so I would say reach out. If you need help, if you need services, you don't know what to do, you're not sure, just reach out. Feel free to reach out to me, and I'll be more than happy to help out, uh, to help you out and in accomplishing whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And my contact information is listed on the website, or you can call me at 954 529 4586. Again, that's DPT Solutions or farminclusion.org, or you can call me at 954-529-4586.
0: Thank you so much for being here.
1: Not a problem. Talk soon.
0: Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. All Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Jesse for being on this episode, and thank you for listening. You can find out more about Ability at AbilityPodcast.com. You can even check out the show notes for this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please write and review it on iTunes. It really helps out the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at TheJacob Holt, and you can follow the show on Twitter at AbilityPodcast. You can also check out Ability on Facebook. Until next time, keep on rolling.